0: One of my all-time favorite animated shows is a Japanese anime entitled Fullmetal Alchemist Brotherhood. And in this series, two young boys commit the ultimate taboo. The brothers are bright, and they're junior scientists. They are studying their world, how their universe works, and they study in particular this fictional science of deconstructing things to their elemental basis and reconstructing it to something else. The show calls this fictional science alchemy. After tragically losing their mother, their only present parent, their economic support and their number one encourager of their studies, they attempt this taboo. At one point, the eldest brother carefully recites in his tiny yet intentional prepubescent voice, and I quote, 35 milliliters of water, carbon 20 grams, ammonia 4 liters lime 1.5 kilograms, phosphorus 200 grams, salts 250 grams, saltpeter 100 grams, and various other trace elements. This is the basic chemical makeup for the average adult human." End quote. The viewer sees the boy gather these items, these chemicals together, and placed them in a blob of mud on the floor. The boys are attempting this taboo to recreate their dead mother through this fictional science. Of course, their attempt not only fails, but results in physically harming both boys. As a result, they suffer for years with hopelessness and feeling numb to their world. It's no surprise that their idea failed and that they ended up hopeless and numb. See, it's easy to feel so hopeless and numb when we relegate human life to being only pieces or elements. It's easy to feel hopeless when we relegate human life to only those pieces or elements and think of ourselves and others as just cobbled together parts. It's easy to feel hopeless and numb when we see one another as only some kind of dusty clay shell. It's no surprise, because all we see, hear, and read often are reports of people, humans, begging, talked about as if they are just clay bodies. Dusty bodies. No, not dusty as in old or dirty, but dusty as in like dust. The fine particles that are microscopic and seemingly nothing but just a hobglob of individual particles of pollen and hair and dead skin cells, minerals, etc. Dusty clay bodies seen as no more than this hobglob of individual particles or features. Yes, when all we see is a list like these boys who had all the particles of a human, the end result would inevitably be hopelessness and numbness. Maybe you felt like that before. I know I have. In fact, just these past few weeks, I've struggled with hopelessness and numbness, worried that the world, this country, our state, and even our very city in which we exist would never improve. From reading my school assignments on this country's past oppression of indigenous and black people with eerie similarities to today, to reading that some state officials believe systemic racism shouldn't be mentioned in schools, to hearing news and others refer to Charlotte's homeless population in Tent City as nuisances and eyesores, it was no surprise that I too felt hopeless that we would change or grow or improve. It was no surprise that I seemed to feel numb to another horrific story of a black person killed by police violence. Maybe you've been there too. And while we may judge or even laugh at the fictional boys attempting to create their mother with just this laundry list of elements or particles of dust, as if that's all she was, you see that we are no different. We describe ourselves as mere dust or a hobgob of parts. We describe ourselves with our scene parts. We're tall, we're short, we're dark-skinned, we're light-skinned, we're white-skinned, we're black-skinned, we have curly hair or straight hair, we're thin, we're curvy, we're athletic, shapes for our bodies. We describe ourselves with elements of our careers or jobs cobbled together. We're a banker, we're an athlete, we're a lawyer, we're retired, we're a nurse. We describe ourselves with pieces of personality traits like funny and shy and stubborn and social and reserved. We often describe ourselves and others like a cobbled piece pieces of dust fine particles that which we come from but we often treat ourselves and others just as that nothing but dust just a collection and an assortment of random fine particles as if that's all that makes us human but today's text reminds us that while we come from some dusty clay or some version of that, figuratively. Made of body material and descriptors and adjectives, we are also spiritual, brought to life from the very breath of God. Some theologians would refer to life-giving breath of God as the soul or spirit who are beyond our dusty clay forms, beyond our easy-to-see labels, traits, and features. It was something beyond the material that was missing for those boys trying to recreate their mother's human body. They had all the pieces, the particles, the elements, and the parts, but lacked the spirit necessary that she might live again. In Ezekiel's version of the Valley of Dry Bones, it's the wind that breathes the breath of life into the bones and causes them to live again. It's the same Hebrew term in the text that's used when the author of Joshua and 1 Kings says that the dead are described as those without breath in their bodies. And the same term for the authors of Job in some of the Psalms where the gift of life is described as having the breath of God in their bodies. In the synoptic gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke, Jesus' death is solidified with the phrase, he breathed his last breath. And in John's account, it is Jesus who breathes on the disciples to imbue them with the Holy Spirit. The same Spirit, we believe, lives as a part of each and every one of us. Thus, it's clear, I would argue, that while we're, yes, made of some sort of dusty clay material or material things, we're also made of the breath of God or the spiritual, something beyond what can be seen or even imagined, something deeper than a personality quiz result, something beyond our physical features. Being alive today is something more than just the material. We know that cobbling together those fine particles or dusty bits don't equate or represent the fullness of our lives, but it also takes the breath of God that keeps us among the living. So the question arises, shouldn't we just ignore the dust? Shouldn't we just put aside the labels? Shouldn't we just not focus on the material parts, the descriptors, the bodily parts, the adjectives about ourselves? Shouldn't we just disregard the dust? The short answer, I believe, is no. And I'll tell you why. First, disregarding our dusty clay bodies is disregarding the creator's handiwork. Instead of ignoring or disregarding our dusty and clay bodies, what if we embrace them as part of the image of God? Many of you, like me, were told and taught that the image of God means that we have the essence of God, the personality of God, the mind of God, and that it has nothing to do with our physical bodies. So our image of God shifts to some shapeless spirit or being and we use that as the reason why we don't see skin color or see gender or capabilities and we think that's what makes us a good person or even a good Christian to see one another as shapeless and colorless and genderless all the same. But somehow that's supposed to reflect the image of God. Is that what it means to be the image of God, shapeless and genderless and a blob of no identifying features? Nothing physical but just some spiritual nothingness? Separating that physical is how we think of God and ourselves. Separating the flesh and the spirit, we think that somehow is the image of God, but that's a very Western view. Ancient Hebrews did not distinguish between the body and the soul or the spirit and the flesh. People didn't uh, have a soul. They weren't bodies with a soul or a spirit. People were souls. Holistic, your mind and your body, God created your whole being, not just your capacity to think and feel or having a favorite color or feeling joy and pain. God also created our hair and our legs and our skin. How different would we view our bodies if every time we looked in the mirror, we believed we were looking at the image of God? How different would we view the bodies of others if we looked at them as the image of God? Instead, we like to see bodies as disruptions, disruptions because they're too different from the images in the media, too different from the ideal. We're too fat or too skinny, too young, too old, too dark, too light, too hairy, too smooth, too feminine, too masculine. So we see our bodies as disruptions. And with the number of our children in particular being bullied for their body and their body image, I would argue, no, we cannot disregard our dusty clay bodies. And instead, I argue that we ought to start seeing our dusty clay bodies as the image of God too. Or are we so stuck on the image of God being spiritual only that neglecting our bodies is okay? That judging our bodies is okay, that condemning our bodies is okay, or are we so stuck on not seeing color and gender and capabilities that we invalidate people? That leads to my second reason why we cannot disregard our dusty clay bodies in favor of a spiritual only focus. Recognizing someone's spirit but not their body is not helpful. I i am a black woman. Do not ignore that I'm black or a woman, two parts of who I am, but recognize that I am still created in the image of God, not despite of it, but because of it. No, recognize my dusty clay body as created in the image of God as a black woman. It's those parts that should put fire under your feet to ensure that you're treating me fairly, equitably and justly. Look, when you look at me, you have to see me to help me. I think of persons who may use a wheelchair. Those persons don't want people to ignore their capabilities but recognize that they too are created in the image of God and it's recognizing them as created by God that reminds us that they deserve to have access and puts fire under us too that we ensure that they get that access to get where they need to go. It's failing to see our bodies different or not that result in people not having their needs met. Instead, recognize yourself and others as created in the image of God. I'm reminded of the words of the renowned black author Ralph Ellison in his well-known work, Invisible Man. It opens like this. I am an invisible man. No, I am not a spook like those who haunted Edgar Allan Poe, nor am I one of your Hollywood movie ectoplasms. I am a man of substance, of flesh and bone, fiber and liquids, and I might even be said to possess a mind. I am invisible, understand, simply because people refuse to see me. Refusing to see blackness disregards racism. Refusing to see impoverished bodies disregards the wealth gap. Refusing to see someone who needs a wheelchair or accessibility device refuses and disregards the need for accessible places in our world. People are whoever they are, and that means they are created in the image of God. We're not going to ignore who you are and how unique your body is to instead favor uplifting your spiritual being only. But it's our responsibility to recognize you and one another as created in the image of God. Recognize that when we look at our bodies that we're created in the image of God. Recognize that when we look at other bodies that they too are created in the image of God. And recognize that changes to that body don't erase the breath of God in us. Which leads to my final thought and circles back to the title of this message. We cannot ignore our dusty clay bodies. We must embrace both our bodies and our breath or spirit. And this Lenten season in particular, this Black History Month, we should ask ourselves, can this dust breathe? Not in relation to our own dusty bodies, can our own bodies breathe, but ask that question about the bodies of our neighbors. Can your neighbor's body breathe? can they safely take in life-giving spirit of God, can they cleanse themselves of harm and toxicity, ignoring dusty clay bodies means that you can't see if you're inhibiting someone else's breathing, which can be as simple as not wearing a mask or social distancing and possibly exposing someone to COVID-19 where they literally struggle to breathe, or figuratively where you use their bodies, their dusty clay bodies, as an excuse or justification for their abuse. Or maybe it's a little bit of a mix of both when environmental racism leads black bodies to suffer with air pollution for example at a rate of 1.5 times more than white bodies according to the EPA because their black bodies are seen as expendable. I'm asking you today can your neighbor breathe? For you breathing or embracing the spiritual may be as easy as your physical breathing something you usually don't even have to think about. However, for many people, breathing, embracing the spirit, must be just as intentional as breathing while meditating or while hyperventilating or when suffering from a medical condition. Breathing becomes more than just what bodies do normally, but breathing becomes an intentional act of resistance, resisting death that the body might live. When others ignore your body or deem it less than, for some of us, especially those of us who are black or indigenous or gender non conforming forming bodies, it's outright exhausting trying to breathe. Let's not forget that it was begging to breathe that were the last words of both Eric Garner and George Floyd. Black bodies simply trying to survive, trying to live, trying to resist death. It is exhausting when racism and homophobia and transphobia and fatphobia and any other oppression tell you repeatedly that your body, your dusty body is wrong while others who have never struggled to breathe or even stay alive a day in their lives, judge those dusty bodies as not worth breathing. So I ask again, not can you in your dusty body breathe, but ask, can your neighbor breathe? And if not, what are you going to do about it? Amen.